City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. There we are. Good morning. Take it away, Corey. Go on. Well, you're listening to City Limits on 3CR. We've got a very, very, very full studio this morning. Mm, We have. We've got... um, We've got two guests, Alan Hubbarday and Angela. Angela, what's your second name again? Georgianas. Georgianas, that's right. And um, we're going to talk, well, you can tell what we're going to talk about, Corey. What are we going to talk about? We're talking about the Fisherman's Bend um, development and the way that um, Angela Georgianas has been personally affected by it. Okay, and of course it is Transport Day being the first Wednesday of the month, so we're talking in the last half of the program to John McPherson about transport issues, of which there's no shortage ever in Melbourne. And um, I, in fact, I'm going to raise a couple of experiences I had at the weekend, Corey, you'll find it was all in one day on Saturday, in fact, um, tram and then train, but we'll go, we'll go into that much later in the program. And just before we go to our guests, uh, a couple of very small things I just wanted to mention. Um, Origin Energy was um, fined $2 million for staff harassing and coercing customers, and it was actually a, a consultant or they consulted a mob called Salesforce Australia, which itself was in turn fined a bit as well. But I thought it was interesting because after they got fined $2 million for um, harassing and coercing customers into signing contracts, Origin said it's our duty to ensure that anyone who represents us reflects our behaviours and values, and we might well argue that they were anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's that. So that's good I think old it's Origin. A bit- that's probably, you know, um, Employee of the Week award as well. Oh, there's, no, there's a fair few contestants for that one. Mm-hmm. They're all over the place, yeah. The other one I thought worth mentioning before we go to um, to our guests is the, um, in fact, treason, I think, is still on the books as a capital crime. Yeah, right. And this is close to up with the head stuff, this one. Staff at Windsor Castle are threatening strike action, industrial action. Yeah, right. Against her most gracious. Yeah, goodness, they uh, yes. are getting good good conditions. I'd really want to be paid a lot if I had to spend all my time with the Queen. Well, I think that if you're working for her, you should be prepared to work for nothing, really, just for the honour of it. But anyway, <laughs> she, um, the client, they reckon they're already low paid and they're expected to carry out extra unpaid duties such as giving tours and acting as foreign language interpreters, etc., etc. But I feel that, uh, you know, that's she. I think she ought to bring back the old treason bit. Mm. Mm. Into the tower, all that sort of stuff. Mm. A lot of workers should cop that one. Um, and the only other one I want to mention, I thought that we should give the, the award for modesty this week to Nick Griner, the former New South Wales Premier, who said that Saturday's result was the best since he won. <laughs> yeah, the headline says, best result since me. <laughs> so I think that's got to get something. Excellent, excellent. Okay, look, take, go to the guests. Go to the guests. I'll stop raving. Who wants a cup of tea, by the way? Um, it's white Chinese tea. Anyone want one? I'll have a cup of tea. You'll have a cup, yes. Oh, yes. Helen, okay, that's another one. That's two. We, got, we pour it close to here because people like to hear it. Mm. Is that yes, right? Yes, they do. They love it. Yeah, it really helps them get in the, the yeah. feeling of what that's it's like right. in the so studio. Gonna... Mood. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There we go. If you want to recreate this at home, get you know three or four of your yeah. favourite people and cram them into maybe the bathroom. Yeah, that's it. There we go. Get <laughs> With a, a cup closer. of tea. Right, that's it. Tea. 
done, done. There you are. Hello, have a cup there. Corey, there you are. Thank you. And we're right now. Okay, so first of all, we've got Helen Halliday from the Fisherman's Band Network, um, which is a broad community network promoting good planning, design and infrastructure for the Fisherman's Band Urban Renewal Area. Members of this group have a diverse range of skills, including environmental planning, community engagement and property development. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Corey. And what's your specialty, Helen? Oh, look, I'm um, a generalist, really. I've been involved with local politics for a long time now, since um, the 70s, and um, I continue to be interested and engaged in things that are happening in our area. And what brought you to this campaign? Um, A little bit of an accident, really. It's a long way from where I live, actually, um, Fisherman's Bend, but um, there are a lot of things that seem to be going wrong with the planning process. And um, a number of us got together and we felt that we should do something. We uh, we ran a forum through Community Alliance Port Phillip, which is um, an umbrella organisation that operates in St Kilda and and, um, more broadly in Port Phillip and has done for... about 20 years, so it's been a very active organisation on a range of fronts. So this was yet another front. And we also have um, Angela Georgianis in the community, uh, in the studio. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. And you're one of the residents who's been affected? I'm one of the residents, one of the first residents that has been affected. I was actually bullied out of my house with the first um, developer with his um, playing his dirty tricks and, um, as I said, this project in uh, a very small sized land. Um, we're going to have an eight-storey building very soon now. Mm-hmm. So the Fisherman Bend Urban Renewable Renewal Area, this project, um, it started off you know, looking great. It was going to have public spaces, public transport, mm-hmm. you know, all this sort of stuff. What went, what went wrong? Um, well, in the first instance, there was a, a community consultation exercise which went reasonably well. We weren't totally happy with it, but um, it came up with a, a draft vision and the draft vision said all the things that one would like to hear a plan saying, <clears throat> you know, concern about environmental issues, transport, um, public open spaces, all those sorts of things. And um, a few months later, um, we, the MPA, Metropolitan Planning Authority, came up with their strategic framework, which... Um, allowed, you know, it's basically in Matthew Guy's vision, Manhattan to the Bay, and I suppose the other primary consideration is that even before any of this had taken place, the the land was rezoned as capital city zone. So normally what happens is the planning takes place and then you rezone. What we got was rezoning and then planning. So the net result of that has been that a lot of... um, uh, the uptake in property values has been absorbed into a into properties uh, property developers rather than into community resourcing and all the things that need to happen because basically what you're turning is an industrial area into a residential area and it's our view that um, the property owners who are going to get the benefit of that rezoning should also be party to all the costs associated with it all or at least it a lot of the costs. And then the um, Honourable Matthew Guy um, was giving out permits for people to build um, very large apartment blocks, sort of willy-nilly. 
Um, we actually invited uh, the Honourable Richard Wynne in this morning. Well, but he's the current planning minister. Yes, just a bit of background there. When he was housing minister in the previous Labor government, when he first got the ministry, and his office is about 200 yards up the road from where we are now, we, in, we several times went and invited him on our normal housing day to come in and be part of it on a regular basis and discuss with the Housing with the Aged Act and other people housing issues, and we're still waiting for him to pop in. Mm. Um, he hasn't quite made it, so I think we'll have a bit of trouble getting him. Yeah. Um, can I <laughs> just... We're in a bit of trouble getting him too. <laughs> can I, helping us. Can I just say um, we just had a personal call from his department yesterday because, as I said, um, in November, if they come into election, they're going to review all these um, permits. Well, that hasn't happened. Um, we got a um, phone call yesterday, not even a written letter, saying that... Um, it's no longer in their hands. This has gone back to council. So, as I said, they are handballing me, um, and they just don't want to do anything about it. Indeed. So their promise was, <laughs> yeah, it was just lies. In, in the last couple of days, there's been a story that yet again, every time we get a new government, we get a new plan for Melbourne, and uh, it lasts not, <coughs> last three such, or four yes. years, and away it goes again. So they've just dumped the guy plan, and now they're bringing in their own. Mm. But one of the reasons they argued was, in fact, the planning needed for. Fisherman's Bend. So what what that meant, I've got absolutely no idea. But we'll we'll guess what it was. No, it's, it's all about confusion. And as I said, the council uh, with the the development next door with me, it was approved last year um, for a seven story. Now it's gone up to eight since this new government. This is has next been to your place, is it? Next to my place, yes. Um, and um, as the planning, this um, assistant of the planning department, um, Kirsten Weber, spoke to me yesterday, she did say that this, ha- this ha- actually hasn't come into council, his another two um, stories. This will happen. So, so, and can you just go through why um, this apartment block would be inappropriate for your area? Um, we are a row of um, five cottages, small cottages that were built in the 1800s. Um, Our sewage pipes are linked with this um, house next door. Um, We we share a a common wall together, so it's going to be disastrous. And um, you were saying that before that the sewage was very... um, the the piping was very old and you didn't think it would... Oh, no, it um, won't cope take with the it. extra load? No, not whatsoever. And and there's a lighting issue, is that right? Sorry? Uh, an issue with the amount of light that you would... Oh, we won't have any light. Um, this is going to um, overshadow even up to Station Street, which is the, yeah, on the on border street, on Boundary Street. All that's going to be overshadowed. And and roads and parking, is there... We've already got a, a big parking issue with two of the mechanics that are in the street. Um, in the, they always park in a disabled parking zone, re- residential parking thing, but council just dismiss everything and just mm. turn a blind eye to it. We're just sick and tired of complaining. There's other people complaining now, but as I said, we've got a big parking issue and it's going to get worse. I, I would imagine that, that uh, something of that size would would exceed the already generous overshadowing and overlighting and lighting um, um, planning requirements or planning laws. Um, so are they just waiving all those laws? At yes, oh, of course, yeah. As I said, well, I think um, the and Angela's talking about an area in Montague, which is already, um, I think it was a commercial zone. Yes, oh, right? look, uh, uh, being, no, a resident, no. being a resident there now for 18 years, or 17 years, we sometimes don't know what zoning we're, we're in. Any, anyway, um, it, as part, it was rezoned as part of the capital city zone and... Mm-hmm. And the building that Angela's talking about is actually a four-storey building. It's in a four-storey 
overlay. Um, the One of the issues with the strategic framework was that everything is discretionary, so even all the heights are discretionary heights in this particular mm. area. What's four-storey got a seven-storey permit and there's an idea to amend right. that. I know, oh, yeah, it's going to be and eight unusually now. it got a seven... Well, I'm, I won't dispute that, but there is some questions about whether there's a change in height, but essentially, you know, they they argued on the basis of of um, benefit that they would use the, the ground floor as a um, as an art gallery and on that grounds they got an extension <laughs> an elevation of their permit by three mm. stories and um, it's actually these you've got to uh, perhaps understand that these blocks um, are quite small and and these buildings are wall to wall and um, there doesn't appear to me to be adequate light and so the, another aspect of this particular proposal is that they've asked for an amendment from 10 storeys to 16 storeys, which means that... Sorry, 16, 16, apartments. 16 apartments. So um, access to light, ventilation and all of the other things is um, quite problematic and you know certainly wouldn't meet any apartment standards that apply in Sydney, for example. Mm. Mm. So they're substandard and they will be more substandard and concessions that were given for one thing have not been taken into account when they next apply for another thing. So there's no kind of historical, let's track this through and see best possible outcomes for communities, best possible outcomes for people that are living there. You know, there's lots of other ways of dealing with these buildings and personally I, I think Angela and her community are very right to uh, to be very concerned about it because it's it sets forward a process that has to be mm. continued because you can't have one building just sticking up all by itself. Well, we're, we're actually pushed out of our home. As I said, this Fisherman's Bend is very good for the big industrial sites, but for us little people, which are very few little residents, mm. yeah, we are pushed out you know, from our homes. And can you talk about your experiences of being pushed out? Um, look, um, the first developer was chasing after me um, because he did tell me that in order to do my project, I need your property, but he wasn't prepared to pay market value for it. So he actually leased it out with a real estate agent in Port Melbourne, one of the oldest um, real estate agents, and he put three people. But um, He leased out next door? Yes. Yep, yep. And... Um, he, every night, we had about 10 to 15 people. Um, police did nothing. We had property damage. We, we had a lot of things happen. They just dismissed everything. We had an arson attack um, on July 2012. Again, police stopped investigation. They did nothing about it. Um, I was lucky that my father was in that um, room because that whole block would have been perished. Um, one week after that, um, we saw more kids moved in and the parties got even wilder. So, you know, we just got sick and tired of calling police every night because noise priority is not number one on their lists and nobody wants to do anything about noise pollution. Martin Foley was going to do a story about it in The Age back then, um, and then they just brushed mm. it away. Just go, well, he's the local member and he's now the housing minister. That's right, yeah. yes. Um, my brother, Stephen Georgianis, was a Highmarsh federal MP. Again, he dismissed it. He said to me, you know, there's nothing Martin and I can do. Just get yourself a gun and go and shoot the developer mm. and shoot the, the kids, you know, that are mm. intoxicated, you know, high on ice and ecstasy. So that's what their solution is. Mm. Mm. 
So as I said, um, I'm probably one of the first residents that it has affected, and this is going to go right down to Port Melbourne. I'm mm-hmm. sure we're going to have more dirty developers. The good thing is that he sold last year, and we've got a new developer, which he might be a little bit more human. So, as I said, we'll see what the outcome is going to yeah, be. I'm not sure the words human and developer go together. But, <laughs> no, they don't. Um, the, uh, but anyway, we'll don't. Wait, wait and see. Uh, but it, it does also reflect the fact that that whole Port Melbourne area has been so gentrified. You know, what, what was an incredibly working-class area has oh, just... Oh, it's changed tremendously. And I, I imagine this is just going to continue the, the, oh, yes. the gentrification of that broad area. Uh-huh. It's changed yeah. overnight, you know. Um, yeah, gentr- gentrification would be... Uh, a, a mild word. word. A kind <laughs> word, yeah, okay. <laughs> stand, so, stand corrected. <laughs> so we've mentioned the Minister for um, Planning, the Metropolitan Planning Authority, and you mentioned the council. Who's in yes. charge of... Well, <laughs> this is, don't know. Well, we do <laughs> I don't know. We, we kind of know. It's a, it's a, a very mixed bag here. Um, probably, um, you know, what we in Fisherman's Bend Network believe is that there is a need for an authority which has overriding... Um, control in the whole area, and that um, the councils should be represented on that, but it, they shouldn't be, um, because what has been happening um, is that, for instance, in this particular area, this is actually a council development area, but the minister actually gave the permit. So um, he gave the permit mm. when he had the authority to give. This the was permit. Guy at the time, was that, it? That this was Matthew Guy. Yeah, and it's one of only a. a that that's one, but he also at the same time gave, um, I don't, I, I think in the vicinity of sixteen other permits in Montague on the other side of the road. Mm. Most of them are very high rise, high density, um, and and um, with very little scrutiny as far as we can establish about how they fit in with any overall planning scheme. Mm. So there's a, just a whole heap of permits that have been given, and. Um, uh, really, the MPA is theoretically in, in charge of um, of the permit. So far from just advocating for this area, your group's now calling for an overhaul of the whole government planning bureaucracy. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, well, we we don't feel that the MPA is is appropriate for our for the things that we ne- that we think need to happen. It's got an overarching responsibility for the whole of the city of Melbourne. And um, there's proposals under the next state government to, or this state government, to make it a Victorian planning authority. I, I think it's um, a, a good step forward that Matthew Guy has asked um, Ros Hansen and the members of the commi- of the mm. Plan Melbourne committee mm. to come back. Richard Wing. Sorry about that. That's a, a slip up, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's Richard hard to Wynn. tell one rich white guy from the other. Yeah, I, can, I totally understand. Yeah, just, oh, no, no. It, 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 anyway, he, he has um, taken, a, I think, a major step forward of, of, of asking that same committee who, were, who was disbanded or, or resigned mm-hmm. under Matthew Guy to come back and, and finish a plan, Melbourne, which may be more, more appropriate than um, the last one, but that still doesn't answer the question of of these areas which need a um, an authority, to, a, a renewal authority, in my view, or our view. Mm. Mm. 
Well, we're running out of time, so perhaps that sums it up. But, Angela, what do you want to see happen? And, and Helen, just to finish up. Well, as I said, um, the Labor Party said if they do come you know, into power, they're going to review these um, permits. Well, as I, as I said, um, they, they're handballing us again now. It's council. It's got nothing mm. to do with us. And why I know personally that these um, developers pay these politicians, and I know in South Australia with these heavyweight developers that we know personally um, do pay these politicians, you know, donations in their um, electoral um, campaigns, so that shouldn't happen. Mm. Helen, just you just like... Yes, well, I agree with Angela on that point. I, th- I think that there should be a um, clear separation in New South Wales. There is, and mm. um, obviously through ICAC they... they um, Reveal a lot about these um, the way donations and and planning applications and various other things deals are made. Uh, we'd like to see something similar in in Victoria. Oh, that'd be good actually. Because again, you you raise the point. The M, there's the planning authority, there's the ministry, and then there's the local council, and the lines get blurred as to who's responsible for what. I mean, oh, the, the story we're going to follow up on transport has the same thing, where it's the the transport ministry and the private owner of the trains or private runner of the trains and the lines are so blurred as to who's responsible for things and well, it's, it's council- a good way of blaming someone else of course. <laughs> the isn't council it? officers don't even know who's, who's responsible. Well, as I said they've only given us just um, since we've got involved with this un, you know without our um, intentions um, they've just shown us confusion and nothing else. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Well, we'll certainly more than that. We'll keep in touch with both of you, and we'll uh, we'll keep following it up because it's uh, obviously going to develop, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I think it's a very complex area. I don't think that you can entirely blame the current minister for all the, the sins of the past. I mean, mm. these development applications are, are um, legitimate applications. They can only do certain things that are in the mm. um, in their gift to do under the so. law they were left with. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Right. No worries. Thank okay. you. Thank um, you, Corey. We're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855am or 3cr.org.au and you're listening to City Limits on 3CR <laughs> and that was Joni Mitchell with Big Yellow Taxi. Yeah, now, and before that it was Aaron. and we, we played that because last week I said, I said to Corey, in fact, that the, when we were choosing a theme song for this, we had the one we have. But also um, the Joni Mitchell song was would have been equally as appropriate. Um, plus, uh, because of last week's program about air and pollution, we uh, I said oh, we should play the air song from um, <laughs> from here at some stage. So there you yeah. are. That's how that's how that'll happen. Right, John, okay. John McPherson. That's right. Yeah. John McPherson's now in the studio, and um, he of course comes in on the first Wednesday every month to talk about transport issues, John. And one of them, yes. I suppose, we talked. I don't know if you heard much of the previous interview, but. Mm. About Fisherman's Bend and the development taking place, but of right. course that that requires transport as well, which um, which was sort of promised, but it seems to have fallen by the wayside. So mm. Yeah, mm. what's happening there? You know? Well, the Liberals, the Liberals, of course, brought in their their plan for Melbourne Metro, which was to um, bypass bypass the city and put a station at to Fisherman's Bend. But the station Fisherman's Bend was not was really going to be more a station for the casino, it seemed, from ah. from where it ended up. Oh, it always oh, comes yeah. back to money, which doesn't it? Which was opposite the casino, which yeah, probably explained yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was kind of sort of service Jeff's shed in the casino, I think, better more than Fisherman's Bend, really. Um, unless they put a big a big loop a loop in the line, um, mm. which, yeah. yeah. I've got to say, I'm generally pro more railways. Yes. 
just as a general rule. Yes, yes. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Even if they are taking you to the casino. And you can go to the casino, you can give the casino all your money, and then it goes back to tax, and then that goes back to the government. So it sort of right away pays for itself. And instead of Mm. leaping into the Yarra after you've lost your money, you can jump in front of the train. (laughs) Kevin, please. (laughs) Just thought I'd mention that. Um, Anyway, there you are. But, uh, Um, but, uh, yeah, in reply to Corey's point, though, I don't – all all rail isn't as good as isn't necessarily good. Yes. Now I have a problem yes. with the Melbourne Metro Rail Tunnel. Yes. Um, because I think the southern part of it, where it goes down St Kilda Road and then swings around in a loop to join the line to Caulfield, mm. I think that's got problems in that it's awfully expensive, but it's only going to have one station at Domain, mm. and apparently not even the station at South Yarra. And that, no, that's stupid. No, that is stupid. Yeah. But, when, when but you, and as you say, John, I'm sorry, that there are much cheaper ways of getting better results. Well, you, well, not necessarily better results, but you can get about 80% of the result for about one-tenth of the, one-tenth of the money in that there are ways to boost the, the capacity of the CBD to take more trains and without the, having to build that whole line, which uh, is about $9 billion worth they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. They, they were talking about extending the tram network as well. yeah. Well, that's all right. Mm. I think I think in Melbourne we've got to use our tram network a bit like a metro. I think you know that's what we've got mm-hmm. to cover the inner areas, which are going to become much more dense in future. And I think, and I think we've got to turn our our tram network into as light, a light rail network as much as we can, with as much dedicated um, right of way for the trams to get get them and the cars separated. Mm. Um, on, on that, yeah, we better yeah. let me have a word. In it, I guess you're <laughs> feeling. <laughs> He'll be feeling left out, Kevin. Yeah. Um, on that question of, um, of you know, tram capacity, John, mm. increasing it, mm. um, there's a proposal, in fact, to increase the capacity of tr- to bring in high-capacity trams, low-floor trams on Route 19, which is the Coburg North yeah. Street. Right. And, it, and but, the, but then to, to decrease the number of tram, serv- tram service. Mm. So, in mm. fact, you'll get more people on each tram but less trams. Now, that seems to defeat the purpose if the problem is that already it's overcrowded. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, I would argue that they can, they can tune the number of trams of, of the bigger size to just, just you know, cater for the number, number of passengers. Mm. But of course, passenger numbers keep rising. And, and that's a good thing. And that well, that's sort of a good. It is a good thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it means it means more people are using public transport than mm. cars. Hopefully, although it would be probably even better if they were on their bikes. <laughs> Let's face it. But but, but yeah, um, I mean these the, the new trams they're talking about. The ones that are coming in now are are huge. I mean they they they're probably double mm. the size of the trams that are presently on the. Um, yeah, and some of those are already on running on the on Route 19. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but then, of course, decreasing, we always argue, you always argue, mm. that frequency is a key oh, yeah. to getting people on. Absolutely. So if you, if, you, if you reduce the frequency, you, yep. you in fact, discourage well, people. But if the frequency, say, is dropping back from every six minutes to every eight minutes, um, that's, not, that's not too terrible, put it that way. Mm. Um, but, of course, the hope is, though, that the, number of, that the tram numbers service will be boosted again when everything fills up again which is likely to be sooner rather than later. And in the old days, when governments ran the ran public transport, everything ran with a little bit of extra capacity so that you, there was a little bit of... So if, thing, if things started running a bit wonkily, you know, there was a... Something went wrong, there was a little mm. bit of extra capacity. Little buffer, A little buffer, yeah, because all the trams and all the trains weren't absolutely jammed to the gunnels. Mm. 
already. But, of course, now we've got private enterprise running. They've got to be so efficient and those sort of things can't, can't be allowed to happen. So that's one of the reasons why when things stuff up a bit on, say, St Kilda Road or somewhere like that, um, everything goes to hell so quickly because there's absolutely no, no spare capacity. Mm. Indeed. Well, that brings me to two issues I wanted to raise. I mentioned to you on the phone yesterday, sure. John. Mm. Um, it happened to me both on Saturday. Coming outside Vic Market, and well, I won't, I'll, I'll keep it truncated, but outside Vic Market, the 19 tram came in, and I was getting on the tram behind because where I was going. Uh, it didn't open its doors because it only had one door in the stop. But then mm. the other tram didn't move, and I realised mm. that it wasn't getting the, the white mm. tea, the, mm. the so every time there was a light change, the tram mm. wasn't getting its run. Mm. The tram from North Melbourne came around, so the, the, the tram in front just didn't move. Eventually the bloke opened the door, we all got on the tram. But we sat there and sat there and sat there, light mm. change after mm. light change. Mm. And another North Melbourne tram, and there 12 minutes apart mm. arrived. Mm. And eventually someone from Yarra Trams turned up with a mm. flashing light and escorted the tram through. But mm. clearly the lights had stuffed up. But the one thing that was affected was the tram. And so... There was about a 15-minute at least, yeah, I think, yeah. stop before it moved. It's, it's possible what the, the thing that wasn't working was actually on the tram, actually, seeing the other trams were managing to get the, get to trigger the intersection, like the trams coming the other way. Mm. My guess would be that your tram had had a failure in its transponder, which is the thing that talks to the, to the sig- traffic signal and tells it that that tram's there and wants to go to A or B. That sounds like that's mm. what happened, yeah, and that it shouldn't have, you know, it shouldn't have left the depot with that, that defective. Yeah, whatever. But the, the but the, the the system that they use on the trams for that sort of detection, that traffic lights, is very old, mm. and, and it's very clunky. It mm. doesn't do a, it doesn't do a good job. Well, some um, of those trams are just so so old, like. Yeah, well, some of the trams are old. Yeah, yeah, mm. and, and I think the system's even older. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I simply don't understand why they can't modernise those sort of things. But I, I think, as usual in Melbourne, though, it's, it's got to be seen as a big project, a big glitzy project that, mm-hmm. that will have a ribbon that a p- politician can cut. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's much more sexy than, than, than doing the basic, basic stuff. Unless General De Groot gets there first. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But a the, man on a horse, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, sword. <laughs> the other the other one was later at night. I had a bit of a social day. The first one was to go mm. to have lunch, and the next one, uh, evening dinner. And I was get a couple of us went down to get the train at Batman Station just after eleven pm. Mm. And and you're, you've got the timetable tattooed inside your head. That's right. Yeah. Know the yeah. timetable. Got on yeah. the train. Oh, got on the platform. And um, we wait. Just, you know, we knew the train was due in a couple of minutes. And then suddenly, this loud thing. Attention, um, upfield customers. All upfield trains are not running in either direction. And it, then it repeated it. So suddenly we're told there's nothing running. We said, oh, God, we have to go down the tram stop mm. and you know, wander up to Sydney Road. And fortunately, there was a bloke sitting on the platform who had headphones on listening to something and hadn't heard the message. He was just sitting there oblivious to this fact that the trains weren't running in either direction. So we stopped and talked to him and alerted him. And as we were alerting him, looked up and there was the train coming mm. from the next station. Mm. And, and it ran on time and nothing happened. And it actually stopped too. It stopped. And yeah. we got off at it and got off at Jewel. When we, wow. Yeah. So, so it was sort of a ghost train. Really. Well, there was this, this, this big announcement, <laughs> yeah. not, not running, and suddenly the train turned up. Yeah. We would have, if, if the bloke hadn't been there, we would have been about 100 yards up the road somewhere, mm. Mm. Uh, walking toward the tram stop, looked around and seen the train and been cursing vigorously. Furious. Um, mm. Yes. Quite but, rightly. So I rang, and this is, this is an interesting part of it, John. I rang yes. 
Oh, well, I tried to ring Metro. I couldn't mm. find them in the book. So I mm. went across to the station because they close by, and I thought maybe their number's on one of these. Uh, mm-hmm. But the only numbers they give are the, the, the public transport. You know, PTB well, PT, Yes, yeah. the, mm. the, the, that number, but none, none for themselves. <laughs> so I rang that number. And in fairness, the people I spoke to there were very courteous and very helpful, but they said, well, we can't explain anything. And I said, well, I'll have to speak to Metro. And they said, well, seeing you're the media, I'll give you their number, but apparently it's silent and no one can know it. So they don't want people complaining, I suppose. So what is that number? I've got it it at home. I shouldn't give it out next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in my notebook at home. Anyway, I... So I, I rang that, and they don't even – even then, they don't say Metro. It just said um, such and such, her name, gave her name, whoever answered the phone. And then they took down the details, got a bit confused, but I finally explained what had really happened. And she went off and then rang back to say that around 10.30, there'd been a, a near-pedestrian accident at North Melbourne Station, and the driver needed replacing because he was so mm. shocked by the whole mm. thing. Mm. And that may have contributed – the train before ours, which we were thinking of catching, um, hadn't run because there was graffiti on the driver's window, nothing to do with the North Melbourne thing. Mm. But they couldn't really explain what had happened other than maybe mm. this North Melbourne thing had caused a problem mm. Mm. Um, with the upfield line. So mm. whatever mm. happened, but to make an announcement saying they're not running and then it turns up yeah. is, the, is the point that needs... Plus, plus, as part of that story, you discover that that Metro is almost impossible to get onto from normal customers. Mm. You've got to go. So, again, you blur that line between the department and the company that's supposed to be running it, but the company that's running it, you can't ring to complain. Mm. Mm. So, so in other words, they're hoping that you give up and shrug your shoulders and... um, Whatever. Whatever, yeah. 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 Or, in fact, the ministry, the the department, the public sector takes all the complaints. Mm. Well, and they take uh, all the profits. That's right. Well, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd recommend <laughs> you keep going to the um, public transport ombudsman. He doesn't. I don't think he or she is very busy, really. I, I think probably very hard to find them too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were, they are at least in the book. Oh, good. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, they're in the book. That's the start. So maybe we did have the when the first ombudsman was appointed, yes. we had him in. Yes, well, he wasn't yes. at the time. Yes. Had him in um, yes. to yes. talk about it before. I'm yeah. sure he was charming. He was. Yes. He was. Yes. 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 Way. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, what are we going to? Well, another one. Well, another yeah. one just on that, John. I letter mm. in the Herald Sun last week mm. on Tuesday at four thirty p.m. My train was cancelled at Mirrorbark again. Mm. Couple of hundred passengers, only two Mikey pads in use, and one exit. We had six minutes to leave and walk in the rain down the street across the level crossing onto the opposite platform. Train arrived, doors shut before all passengers could embark. A fellow passenger and I stopped the doors closing as they were crushing a guy with his bicycle halfway in. And an elderly passenger with a shopping trolley was trapped. We then, we then got abused by the impatient driver. You lot holding the door. This train is already six minutes late and holding the doors will not help. All you have done is damage them. If we can't get in, get the next train. I beg your pardon. If Metro ran the trains properly, this wouldn't happen. I paid my fare and if the train is room, I'm entitled to get on. Leaving the train at Lilydale, I turned to people still trying to exit the carriage doors, beeping and closing. The public transport system is about the public. All Metro is concerned about is dollars. Neil Hammond, Docklands. Mm. Comment? Well, he's, he's basically said it all. Mm. Uh, oh, well, that's it then. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. Um, if, if, you're, if, the, if you're running a chaotic service, uh, if, if the service is very frequent, maybe if there was another train five minutes behind, you can say to everybody, um, look, sorry, wait for the next train. But there's not. It's probably 20 minutes. Mm. And 20 minutes... Waiting for twenty minutes for a train is enough enough to upset people's whole whole travel travel plans. Maybe they've got to be at work. Who knows? Things like that. 
yeah it it's um it's um it's it's it, it sounds like that comes back to shambolic infrastructure really that one uh, if the train is short shunting at Murrabark rather than going on to Lilydale that's about that's about trying to keep on schedule by short short shunting the train mm. would seem that's what it sounds like um, 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 so what do you do when you when you run such a shambolic service? Well, I'm sorry, but your passengers are going to get bolshy, mm. and they're, and they're going to get they're going to get irritated. Um, and we already have these uh, these very aggressive ticket inspectors who uh, can make life m- miserable. And of course, they not only frighten the people they're dealing with; they frighten the whole carriage full of people mm. when they when they oh. they um, start start their heavy handed tactics. Yeah. It's not a pleasant, not pleasant. No, no. Um, I, very sorry. few places. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say. I think very few places in the world seem to have ticket inspectors that are as aggressive as ours. Mm. Um, what were you going to? Sorry, Corey. Um, I used to know a tram driver. If you'd all like to hear a, a strange tram story. Mm-hmm. We, we, we had, well, yes, yes. yes well, we'd yes. love to hear a, a strange <laughs> tram story, Corey. Go ahead, yes. So. Knowing a tram driver, I got to have a bit of an insight into uh, what the system was like from the inside, and it's you know pretty much as bad as you'd imagine. Um, yeah, and so uh, one time he's driving a tram, and this woman um, illegally goes across um, the intersection, right? Um, you know, when the light has changed, and, mm-hmm. and then she's stuck there, and then the tram's stuck there, and he wants her to move into the into the other lane so the tram can get through. She's, of course, driving some kind of, you know, really, really fancy car. Um, so he starts pinging her with that little bell. Ping, mm-hmm. ping, ping, ping. And, um, and and she's so incensed by this, this pinging noise that uh, she rings up his boss to complain, um, you know, because... Anyway, so he gets called into the office and... The uh, you know the 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 manager says, "Did you ping this woman with your little pingy bell?" And he's like, "Yeah, she was in the wrong. <coughs> you know what was I supposed to do?" He's like, "No, you were in the right. Okay, thank you. Go ahead." Very very bizarre. So yeah. yes, first of all, there's somebody whose life is is that empty that they would complain about the the bell ping on a tram, which you know I don't think any of us can say is very impressive. This tram driver felt like it would be better if he had a big kind of horn, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Yes. And then, then his boss wasted his time and the boss wasted his time bringing bring him into the office. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It's, but it's, we've talked about it time and again. It's a regular occurrence where you get one driver cars, cars with one person mm. holding up entire public transport mm. um, and, and, yeah, and, and intersections. The are, well, the yeah. trams these days can have two hundred people on them. Yeah. yeah, and at intersections, unless they've got priority, um, they they wait. I mean, mm. a, a long royal parade. It's so annoying at times. The the cars get the green light and go, but at right at the end of the cycle, the right turn gets the right mm. turn, mm. and then the tram goes. The tram has to wait the entire light circle mm. to go mm. through because one car is turning right. Mm. You know, yeah, it's it's it's. Tony Morton of the Public Transport Users Association reckons that the trams are slower along Royal Parade than they are along Sydney Road. Hmm. Now, Royal Parade has got all that width mm. and mm. it should be easy, easy to have proper priority, you know, properly protected, protected zone down the middle of the road for the trams. 
not, not it's not the case on Sydney Road because it's much narrower. But in fact, because of the weird way the traffic signals are, are organised along Royal Parade, the trams are actually slower. Mm. And the, the, similar on on Victoria Parade too, the trams coming out, the 109s and things coming out from through from the city going going east along Victoria Parade and then Victoria Street. Those trams, I think, are incredibly slow along Victoria Parade because oh. of all the very fancy smancy traffic traffic lights, which are, are organised for the cars, and the trams get get the le- leftovers, you could say. You know. Well, Saturday morning, in fact, that incident with the tram, when we did get yeah, going, yeah. I was actually heading out to have lunch with someone at the pub at, at Mooney Ponds Junction, so mm. that's why I was on that tram. Mm. But the last mile or so, probably from about Essendon Depot mm. on, mm. it was simply bumper to bumper. Mm. And mm. I don't know whether that's regular on that route or not, mm. but mm. but mm. you just you were crawling mm. through mm. to the junction. Mm. And now that, Painful, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. probably probably normal, and that's like that. The yellow line, as we know, was put in many years mm, ago, called mm, the fairway. I mm. think it was called, wasn't it? Um, and it's supposed to keep trams and cars separate, but of course, it's never ever been policed. No, well, the police, I think, declared that they were, they they were not going to give it high priority policing mm. that sort of thing. It was a bit. It was way down there. List of priorities. Oh, so way down the new book, anyone over mm, twenty years right. or more, yeah, thirty years I probably. Think, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, on the. Um, Things that have happened this week in public transport. Um, the um, state government has thrown out the Liberal Party's plan for the Dandenong Cranbourne line uh, and uh, brought in their own plan, which um, has um, done some good things. It's going to they're going to they're going to um, have a lot more new new trains. They're going to build a lot more new high capacity trains, which is good. Um, but they're but they're not going to endeavour to put in the high high capacity signalling on the line. Um, the background noise is the building next door. Yes. Case people are wondering. That's that's yeah, yes, got it's a, just about got a building site now. next yeah. door. Yeah. yeah. Next thing we'll be digging up the foundations. That'll be interesting mm. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the high capacity signalling isn't going to going to go be installed on the lines as part of the deal. The state government's been advised. That that it's not sure that that signalling would work well enough in Melbourne conditions. So it's been put aside and will be tested on the um, Sandringham line, which I suppose is better than nothing. The other thing this plan's going to do is is um, is, re- is replace more of the level crossings. So I think there are going to be nine level crossing replacements, which is good. Um, so um, I don't know. I think overall... The, the, the ALP plan might be better than the um, than mm. the previous coalition plan, and I'm not quite sure how this plan is going to be financed. It would be better financed by direct f- by direct funding from the state government, just borrowing money to do it, rather than the fancy PPP plan that was uh, going to happen with the uh, coalition version, because that that was going to mean that the government was going to be paying um, huge um, um, costs year on year on year on year. Mm. Ever after, like, mm. Spencer, like Spencer Street Station. Yeah. Yes, the whole public-private partnership. You know that yeah. thing just sounds like a scam to me. Yeah, I mean, it is. Mm. the the government pays for something and then a business yeah. owns it and gets the profits from it. How does yeah. it? <laughs> the what only, yeah, the only, the only virtue. What's wrong with that? The only virtue, and this is this is a virtue only for the government, is that it keeps the um, cost of the money borrowed off the books. Mm. It doesn't appear as money. You know that. That doesn't mean it becomes part of the capital borrowings of the, of the government. You see, it keeps that away. 
so the government can look virtuous. It hasn't borrowed so much money. That's the only, that's the only advantage. It's far more expensive to finance and the money goes to all the consultants and lawyers and uh, bankers. <laughs> well, in fact, since the, New South Wales, Stanley Bank and, since the New South Wales election, you've had all these big financial houses sort of rubbing their hands saying, mm. now there's big money in mm. privatisation, they're mm. going to make a fortune out of it. Yeah, um, exactly. While the yeah. government loses the income, of course. Yeah. But yeah. on that point, of course, about PPPs, well, one of them, of course, is, is CityLink. Mm. Uh, but you'll be pleased to know that there's such a great company trying to help us all. They're holding their own inquiry now into the driving habits of Melbournians so we can work out to get how the best tolls can work best. Uh, <laughs> I, pres- I presume they do they mean, mean best for drivers or best for transurban <laughs> yeah, now? I, let's not be cynical here, John. No, uh, no. It's calling for the overhaul of the funding, saying the present system is outdated, unfair and unsustainable. That's the one they wanted in the first place, John, mm. when they got it. Um, the study will test how motorists react to various user pay models and if it alters their driving decisions to be conducted across Melbourne's entire road network, it will probe the wisdom of charging motorists for each kilometre travelled, a charge to access roads, annual fixed cost per kilometre and expected, etc., etc. But clearly they're looking for the best way to make more money out of their investment. Well, of course. I mean, what, what would you, ex- what would you no, expect? No, too early, too early, go away. Go away. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. There we are. Uh, now, look, we just bought a birthday cake in, and it's Ken Mooney's birthday, actually, his birthday into the studio. The <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> Ken Mooney is. Um, hey! It's look actually. At that. It's Ken Mooney's hey. birthday today, and it's April Fool's Day. We'll put that together. <laughs> um, it might explain a lot about Ken. He's had yeah. that every, day, every year of his life, poor love. Well, I think this little bursting's just completely <laughs> stuffed up city limits. Um, I reckon Corey will throw some sort of music on, eh? Oh, yeah, that's good. Because otherwise, otherwise we're going to talk rubbish to people for the next so five got, minutes. You got more Joni Mitchell? John just got cut completely. Well, that's all right. We can... Um, <laughs> no, but I've got something else from the 70s. This is uh, Nina Simone with Backlash. Oh, nice. well, okay. Well, that's right. a play a bit of jazz. 